My name is Greg Boyd. I'm the senior pastor here at Wilden Hills Church. Okay, you ready for some preaching? You ready for, you ready for some teaching? Okay, turn, turn, if you have your Bibles, turn to the book of Luke, chapter 6, and we're now up to verse 41. While you're doing this, I will, I'm getting hot up here, so I'm going to take off my sweater. And then I want to know if you, if you, do you like my shirt? I got a new shirt. I got a shirt. See that? Look at it. Uh, it says, it's against my relationship to have a religion. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Someone in the church sent me that. Uh, you know, being a preacher, you get some fringe benefits. I get free clothing once in a while. And th- this one I'm actually wearing. <laughs> uh, yeah, so yes, it's, it's against my relationship to uh, have a religion. Here's what it says in Luke chapter 6. We're in the fifth uh, part of our series. I think it's the fifth one on the beautiful mess as we're studying the Sermon on the Plain as part of our whole study of the book of Luke. Why do you, oh, uh, by the way, this message is entitled, let's go back, Dan. Yeah, beautiful conflict. Yeah, you're, you're on me, man. Or it could be entitled, though that's the official title, beautiful conflict. The unofficial title is the map, your map is not the territory. See the relationship? Huh? Huh? Never mind. Okay, here's what it says. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in someone else's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say, friend, let me take the speck out of your eye, when you yourself fail to see the plank of wood in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the plank out of your eye, and then you'll be able to see more clearly to remove the speck from another person's eye. Holy Spirit, be present here. Help us, help us to stay present here and be attentive Lord, uh, infuse this word with your authority to kingdomize our minds, to heal relationships, to bring your kingdom into our families, into every other area of our life. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Last week, we talked about, once again, talked about how we need to be getting our life from Christ and from him alone. By that I mean we need to be getting our worth and our security, our significance, our sense of well-being from what God thinks about us as expressed on Calvary, rather than from any other source. We all love to have relationships and love to be wanted and love to be liked and all those things, and that's fine. But our core identity needs to come from Christ alone and nothing else. If we're not getting our life and worth and significance and sense of well-being from Christ, we have to try to get it from some other source because the need won't go away. And so what happens if we're not getting our life from Christ, to the extent that we're not getting our life from Christ, we try to get it from what people think about us, from who we impress, from how big our car is, or how big our house is, or how, how right our religion is, uh, we, or, or you know, how sexy we are, or, or how talented we are. We try to suck life off of the world around us and people around us because we're not getting it from Christ. And the way we put it last week is we become bottom feeders. We become scavengers on the bottom, like fish that feed off of the droppings that go to the ocean floor. God wants us to feast at the banquet of Christ, and we're meant to rule with a surplus of life on this earth. But if we're not getting our life from Christ, we become scavengers, really pathetic creatures who actually worry about, does someone so like me, my hair, or do they think that I'm religious? And silly stuff like that. God wants to free us from that. Now, when we're feeding on the bottom, when we're scavenging for a morsel of worth that falls from the, someone's table, when we're doing that, we've entered into the judgment zone. That's why the original tree of, of uh, the forbidden tree was called the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. 
Because when you're scavenging at the bottom, you're always comparing, you're always contrasting, you're always excusing, or you're always accusing. We live in this knotted up world of, of, of judgment towards ourselves and towards other people. There's no freedom in it whatsoever. It chokes off love. It chokes off life. The essence of feeding at the bottom is all about judgment. God wants us free from judgment, as we said last week. But to do that, we've got to get life from Christ. I want to add one piece to the message last week that I didn't get to, and it will answer questions that a few people have had, especially people who are, who are, are new to Woodland Hills. The word for judgment in the Bible is the word krino. The Greek word krino. The Greek word krino literally means to separate. In fact, we get the word critic from it. A movie critic is someone who separates good movies from bad movies. Or an art critic is someone who separates good art from bad art. The word means to separate. There's a good sense and a bad sense of separation in the Bible. The first sense is judgment, which is forbidden. And this is when we separate ourselves from another person. We compare and contrast ourselves with them in order to give ourselves worth. That is eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That is what is forbidden. But there is another sense of separation which is very appropriate. And this could be translated discernment. And here we don't separate from people, we just separate things. Good things from bad things, helpful things from unhelpful things, wise things from stupid things. And this we need to do in life. Going through life, you've got to discern. Am I, is this a safe place or an unsafe place? Do I want to buy this car or not? Uh, is this wise stewardship or poor stewardship? Is this good or is this evil? We have to make decisions like this all the time. And that's not wrong. In fact, that's called wisdom. But never are we to separate ourselves from people. There may be times where we are called on to share our discernment with somebody. Uh, the way we separate things. Uh, there may be a time where it's appropriate to share that. If you're in a relationship with somebody, if you're part of their small group, if they've invited you in on their life, then it's appropriate for you, maybe even required of you, that you share with them what you see. This is what the Bible calls accountability, and we all need it. I want people in my life who say, Greg, you know what, I'm worried about this. Uh, I see, here's what I see happening. Because I know that they're speaking it out of love. Now, if a stranger on the street comes up and says, here's what I see, my response is, I don't care. I don't know you, you don't know me, so you don't have any wisdom about my life. So God bless you, goodbye. Uh, and that's how they, people will see you when, when you go up and share your opinion when you haven't been invited. For people who are just acquaintances or people who are strangers, we have one responsibility, and that is to agree with God that they were worth Jesus Christ dying for. And agree with God in our minds and in our voice and in our behavior. That's our one responsibility. No ifs, ands, or buts. If, it, if they're in church, same thing. If they're on the, on the street corner, I don't care where they are. Your job is just to bless them in Jesus' name. Only in relationships is it, is it appropriate to exercise your discernment. Unless, of course, someone's life is in danger or something like that where you've got to do an intervention. But ordinarily, it's just to bless. Now, I want to take this passage on discernment. Uh, or this passage on the plank in our eye, and apply it in a way that, that concerns discernment. We've talked about judgment before. I now want to talk about discernment in relationships and how, how even in the area of discernment, we need to have incredible humility, always acknowledging that we're not omniscient. Uh, and, and there are principles of our relationships that we need to apply if our discernment is going to be godly and effective. Uh, I want to warn, I don't know if you knew this or not, but we've got hundreds, maybe even thousands of people that podcast messages, uh, are the sermons here. 
And they're all over the world. In fact, I feel like we ignore them sometimes. Our congregation is actually a whole lot bigger than this. So could we just say, uh, God bless you podcast people on three. One, two, three. God bless you, podcast people. We love you, and we are so glad that uh, you tune in and, and be blessed by this message. And someone right now I know is jogging and just smiled. I, did, I see, I, I got a word of knowledge. Okay, but podcast people, for the next 15 minutes, you're going to, uh, um, we're going to be looking at some slides that you can't see. I, I'll try to tell you what the slides are, but, uh, but I'll probably forget, so forgive us. Uh, but don't let that stop sending in an offering. Okay, that's all I'm going to say. All right, there. <laughs> okay. I want to back into this this way, getting at this whole discernment thing. One of my favorite artists is, is a man named Rene Magritte. Some of you know him. He was one of the founders of surrealism, which is the coolest art ever in the universe. And uh, he had a famous painting, Ceci n'est pas un pipe. This is it, which translated means this is not a pipe. Okay, think about that for a moment. See, that's, that, that's the beauty of surrealism. It just can freak you out. I, 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 this is not a pipe. Hmm. Because it looks like a pipe. We're looking, oh, by the way, podcast people. I, how, can I just call you PC? Because podcast is too long. PC people. No, because that means you're politically correct. And I don't even know that about you. Um, pod people. The pod people. <laughs> the PPs for short. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, this is not working well. Okay. <laughs> PP people. Uh, triple P. Yeah, we're, 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 we're looking at a, uh, a, a painting of by Magritte uh, of a pipe. And it says, Ceci n'est pas un pipe, which translated means this is not a pipe, which is weird. Here's another famous painting some of you will recognize. Isn't that great? And uh, actually, I want to entitle this one, This is not the United States. We're looking at a map of the United States, folks, on the podcast. This is not the United States. No, no, no. See, the thing is, of course, that is in one sense the United States, but in another sense, it's definitely not the United States. The real United States is a whole lot bigger than that picture. Which leads to this expression, and here is the truth of the moment. A famous therapist once said, his name was Koslin, and he said, the map is not the territory. The map is not the territory. And what Magritte is getting at is that the painting of the pipe is not the pipe. And a map of the United States is not the United States. And I want to apply that to our brains right now. Your brain is not the territory. Your brain is a map of the territory. You, we all do life on the inside with thoughts and representations and beliefs and feelings and emotions. And hopefully there's some correspondence between your brain, all those feelings, thoughts, beliefs, and emotions, and the actual world. But sometimes there's not. But... Never is it the case that your thoughts and feelings and beliefs about the world are the world. It's a map of the world, but the map is not the territory. Here's how it happens. And now, pod people, we're looking at three pictures here that are very funky that you probably can't appreciate. Go get the DVD or something. But here's a picture of my friend Dave. And, and, and this is how it all works. And the guy in the corner there is Coslin. Um, and this is from a book that I'm, I'm doing with some friends. Um, on uh, science and theology, and this is a chapter on neuroscience and, and all sorts of funny stuff. But anyways, in the top picture, here's Dave looking at a tree, and you can see his brain. See that popping in the brain? Those are neurons. 
what happens is that light refracts off of the tree. Maybe odors refract off the tree. Uh, in some way, stimuli comes to Dave through all five senses, and it stimulates his brain. So what is actually going on there are neurons that are firing on one another. Now, what Dave sees, what Dave experiences, is not directly the neuron popping. What he, what he sees, what he experiences, is an, is an actual tree. But his experience of the tree, his representation of the tree in his brain is not the tree. It's a representation of the tree. His brain is a map. It's not the territory. Now, when there is no tree there, and now we're down at the third box on the bottom, when, when, when the tree's not there, but Dave's thinking about the tree, the same neurons are actually popping, which is kind of weird. And the way Dave thinks about the tree is by having a virtual reality experience of the tree, because we don't think with information. We think with representations, uh, using all five senses on the inside. But Dave's thought about the tree hopefully has some correspondence with the tree, but it's not the actual tree. Dave is always at least one major step removed from the actual territory. He's got a map. He doesn't have the territory. What I also want us to know is that when Dave thinks about the tree, or when you think about a beetle, or when you think about the lights going off, or you think about yesterday, whatever, there's an emotional component to that. You feel stuff. In fact, we feel stuff more than we are aware that we're even thinking stuff. And, and, and that, that feeling, that emotion, gives meaning to what you're experiencing. So in the case of Dave here, as Dave's looking at this tree, if he is a maker of paper, a paper maker, um, he's probably feeling some excitement because he's seeing a dollar sign here. Hey, here's some potential money. And so he's thinking about cutting down the tree and, having, uh, and making paper out of it. Or if Dave's an artist, maybe there's a positive feeling because he sees what he can do with this artistically. It could even be the case, for all I know, that Dave, uh, you know, when, when he looks at the tree, when the tree stimulates him and causes neurons to pop, it associates to an experience he had as a kid where he fell out of a tree. Or maybe he was attacked by a demonic tree or something. I don't know. But then he could have a feeling of fear. The, tree, the point is this. Dave doesn't just replicate the tree in his head. Dave interprets the tree. And he interprets it by associating past experiences with it that give it an emotional component and that give it, give it meaning. All of us have a map. That's our brain. A map full of popping neurons that represent the world inside of us that gives it meaning and emotion and that, and that, and that interpret the world. It's the grid through which we see the world. But our grid is not the territory. Our map is not the territory. It looks like this. To break it down. We're bombarded every moment with millions of pieces of, of information. This is stimuli that comes to us. Uh, all five senses. Right now, you're smelling stuff, hopefully good stuff. You're hearing stuff, hopefully good stuff. Uh, you're feeling the, the, the atmospheric pressure around you. Uh, you know, there's all sorts of sense stuff going on. That's all stimuli. Those stimuli cause your brain to, to pop in certain ways. Neurons are decoding that stimuli to give it meaning. Uh, the, the stimuli functions as triggers, which cause the neurons to pop in a certain way to associate with other things. The total constellation of those triggers, those, those neurons popping, uh, causes a representation, a way of representing the world on the inside. And that has an emotional component to it. And all of that put together, you're, it, it, all of that put together, that representation with the meaning, is your map of the territory. It's your interpretation of the stimuli. Okay, to, to drive this home, pay attention. I'm going to show you several pictures here. Pay attention to your thoughts and feelings as you view the following pictures. What do you see? What do you feel? What does it represent to you? And what meaning does it have for you? So first picture. Uh, pod people were looking at a swastika. And I'm thinking, or at least I'm hoping, that there's not a lot of good feeling going on right now. This represents something evil to you, doesn't it? Probably. 
maybe, you know, if you're young, you don't quite know what that is. But it, it evokes, for most of us, a profound negative feeling. It means something evil. But did you know that up until about the 1930s, th- this was a symbol that was fairly widespread in various uh, cultures and, and religions, very, variations of this, and it was always positive. It was a very positive symbol. That's why the Nazis used it. But because of the way the world has unfolded and because of our life experiences, we now give it a very negative meaning. The symbol we're looking at right now doesn't interpret itself. I interpret it. You interpret it. And in a different context, we, we might have interpreted it very positively. Next picture. <clears throat> now this, we're now looking at a flag. And this probably, for a lot of us, causes really good feelings. A sense of maybe pride or, or maybe security or righteousness or, or, or whatever. It has that, that meaning, uh, that emotional component to it. But it's at least good to know that there are some people on the planet for whom, when they look at this, they have something, a feeling that's kind of similar to what you had when you looked at a swastika. And you don't have to agree with that, but just know that there's a different way of interpreting this because of their life experiences and beliefs are all differently. The flag doesn't interpret itself. We interpret the flag. Other people interpret the flag. We give it meaning. The map is not the territory. Next, next slide. We're now looking at Osama bin Laden. And this was hard for some people to even look at in the first service. Um, because there's so much meaning wrapped up in him. He represents so much that is visceral to Americans. But if it's possible, step outside of that. Pretend like you never saw this picture before. You, you could look at him and, and he has kind of a serene look to him, doesn't he? A very calm look. You could, you could see a holy man here. And there are people who, when they see this picture, that's how they interpret it. The picture itself, the physicality of the picture doesn't interpret itself. We interpret it based on what we associate it to. The map is not the territory. Next picture. Now this probably for a lot of people represents something very positive, law and order. We're looking at a police car, uh, people on the pod. Uh, no, I don't want to say that either. Uh, before the sermon ends, pod people, I will figure out something appropriate to call you. Don't say people on the pod. Um, we're looking at a police car. And um, for most people, that would rep- I would think would represent something positive, security, law, and order. But a person's life experience could be something very different that would give it a different meaning. For example, uh, I've known uh, a few people uh, who uh, have uh, uh, had experiences with police where they're a person of color driving down the quote-unquote wrong neighborhood and they get pulled over for no reason at all and they see their father maybe get roughed up by the police. That installs a meaning in their head. And that, that may affect their, their perception of police all their life. I never had that happen to me. I'm white. But I did develop a real fear of police during my teenage years because I was running from them so much. Uh, I had so many close calls uh, in my day that I installed Neuronets so that even to this day, I get nervous if there's a policeman following me. Even if I know my car is registered, I know I got my, my driver's license, my insurance, and I'm wearing a seatbelt. These days, I actually wear a seatbelt. That's kind of a new thing in the last year or so. Uh, yay, yay for me, yes, for sure. But why am I paranoid of police? Well, it's the meaning that I give to policemen. It used to be really bad when I was raising my kids. It was terrible. I would have a rule, never make eye contact with a police officer coming the other direction. Because twice I've done that and I got pulled over. I make eye contact, smile, and I must look guilty or something. So I, I would say to my kids, okay, don't make eye contact. Slowly buckle your seatbelt so they don't notice that you're just now buckling it. Stare straight ahead. Warning, Will Robinson. Warning, warning. My kids. Well, my, Shelly, my wife, used to get so mad. And one time she said to the kids, 
She turned around and she was mad. She goes, okay, kids, be honest with me. Are, answer this question. Are policemen good people or bad people? And they all, they all said, oh, they're bad. <laughs> they're out to get us. <laughs> the man of God. <laughs> Thank you. I, I'm one damaged unit, I tell you. But we're all damaged. Uh, I'm better now. Police, those the policemen in the audience, I want you to know that I'm okay with you. It's cool. I, 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 I've seen a therapist and I'm, I'm recovering. Okay, but the point is... The police car isn't self-interpreting. The map's not the territory. Okay, they're saying move on. I will. Uh, Here's a, uh, what what, what do you see? What do you feel? How do you interpret this? Now, for a lot of us, we're looking at a Christmas tree and some Christmas presents, and that's going to be very positive. It brings back memories. Uh, Bing Cosby, I'm hearing him right now. White Christmas. And and a lot of memories, a lot of positive things. But see, for some people I know in this auditorium, uh, this isn't positive at all. Uh, Christmas, lights, presents, they all trigger a, a giant ought in your head that was never lived up to, a supposed to. Because what it does is it reminds you of the dad that didn't stick around. It reminds you of the Christmas you didn't have, maybe the childhood that you lost, and some other things. That's why a lot of people get depressed around Christmas. We interpret. We interpret the picture. The picture doesn't interpret itself. Finally, let's look at this, this one. What is that? What do you see when you look at that? Shout something out here. You see your friend. Uh, he sees his friend. Okay. What, a butterfly? What else? Jack and Jill? An angel. A what? An evil cat? A big brother? God? See, I see Satan. It to me, it looks like Satan. What does that say about me? Can't you see the horns? Okay, it's, it's Satan with dog ears, but Satan nonetheless. Um, Okay, this is a Rorschach test. This is an ink blot test. Those of us who have been to therapists enough have probably been given one of these. And the purpose of a Rorschach test is that it doesn't interpret itself. You have to interpret it. And the way that you interpret it says a whole lot about you, but nothing about the ink blot. But see, the point I want to make is this. Actually, all those pictures were kind of Rorschach tests. None of them were self-interpreting. What we see in a picture says something about us. It doesn't interpret itself. The map is not the territory. All those pictures were in their own ways Rorschach tests. In fact, every event is a Rorschach test. The Bible's a Rorschach test. Uh, uh, Life going on around you is a Rorschach test. My sermon to you right now is a Rorschach test because at least part of the interpretation you give it says something about you. You, 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 we read into things what is there in ourself. Now, th- this is what makes relationships so difficult. Because the world is ambiguous. And our maps are not the territories. Our maps are, at best, semi-accurate representations of the territory. But they're not the territory. And what a relationship is, is communication. And so we have to try to bridge our maps together. We've got to try to ma- mesh our maps together which involves meshing our whole life history together because our whole life history goes into the making of these maps. Relationships are difficult. Even communicating basic stuff can be very difficult because words can have different meanings. Here's a math test that was given to a fifth grader. And it says, find X. Now, you think that this would be pretty unambiguous. Find X. Uh, You know, and so the way you'd say, okay, that, that means I'm supposed to solve this problem. And so this is four centimeters, three centimeters. I'm thinking it's probably 12, you know, CMs, whatever that is. So, you know, I, I would guess that. Now, that's how most kids would, would answer it. But uh, it's not unambiguous. Here's how one kid answered it. <laughs> See, that kid... 
Okay, uh, pod people, there's a, uh, there's, I, I can't even explain that. Get the, get the, get the DVD. Uh, yeah, a very clever boy. I think he should get an A just for being so clever. But this also reveals this point. What we hear is not only uh, determined and influenced by our, our past life experience, but also our agendas in the present. And I'm thinking this kid had an agenda. Uh, he, he didn't know the, the right answer, and so he was being clever to try to, you know, get some points from, from the teacher, even though he didn't know anything. Communication's difficult because we have to interpret everything, and the map's not the territory. A person can say one thing, and the other person can hear something very, very different. So, let, let me now pick on two members of my small group who are sitting right over there, Alex and Julie, and I'm going to use them as guinea pigs here. These are not recordings of actual conversations. Uh, they're just things that we made up, but I'm going to use them to illustrate that. So Alex says something like, uh, you got a haircut. But what she hears is, he hates my haircut. Yeah. Yes, yeah. What happens when someone says, oh, you got a haircut, and they don't say, I like it. What they hear is, oh, I didn't like your haircut. So uh, she says, so you're going out tonight? And what he hears is, you better stay home and help with the kids or else. Because you've been out three times this week already. And I got to stay here with the kids. He says, I'm hungry. What she hears is, slave, you're supposed to make dinner. <laughs> she says, what's that smell? He hears, take out the garbage. Or maybe take a shower. He says, you're eating chips? She hears, you're getting fat. Uh, I, I see, come on, these are hitting close to home. <clears throat> she says, quite rightly, the, the kingdom isn't the Republican Party. But what he hears is, oh, the kingdom is the Democratic Party. And I'm speaking from my own life experience on that one. Because I'm sure what she meant was the kingdom isn't any political party. But there's a mindset out there, if you're not for us, you're against us, and yada, yada, yada. He says, sweetheart, let me help you clean up the house. What she hears is, let's have fun tonight. <laughs> fun tonight. Housework is the best form of foreplay. M- men take notes. She says, I have a headache. He hears, I don't want to have fun tonight. <clears throat> That's how it goes. Communication's difficult. Relationships are difficult. We do this all the time. We interpret things. Uh, last week, I was just kind of walking out deep in thought, and, and all of a sudden, someone says, why are you mad at me? It's like, mad at you? I, I didn't even notice you. Well, that's the point. Uh, you walk right past me. Why are you mad at me? You see, but that's the, the meaning of my silence was, was given by her map. I've had it happen several times in my career where women have come up after the service and they've said, why were you, why were you so angry today? And wh- I wasn't angry. I was just passionate. I get this once in a while, get worked up and, and like, hallelujah or something. And for some women, based on their past experience, when a man gets loud, it's always angry. So their map interprets it as anger. You see, and we all do this all the time. It's what makes relationships and communication, and really those are two, two of the same things, so challenging. Now, let's go to Luke chapter 6. And I want to draw out three principles, which I believe will help us in all of our relationships where communication is, uh, is a prerequisite, and that's true of all relationships to some degree. First principle is, I believe, the most important principle into this. Don't say no to, get, to map idolatry. Get your life from Christ and say no. Just say no to map idolatry. An idol is anything you get life from, worth, security, significance from. So map idolatry is when you get life from the rightness of your map. 
You get life, worth, significance, and security from thinking that your map is the territory. If you think that way, then your interpretation is always the right interpretation. Your way of seeing things is always the right way of seeing things. Your way of of responding to situations is always the right way to respond to situations. Your beliefs are always, of course, the right beliefs. There's no other way to believe. And you're very hard to live with. If anyone disagrees with you or challenges you, you get defensive because what's at stake here is not just your way of seeing. What's at stake here is some of your own identity. And so you respond by getting big. And that makes you hard to live with. When you have map idolatry, you have a plank sticking out of your eyes. It blinds you. The more important it is for you to be right, the less capacity you have to see and hear anything other than your own rightness. I want to say that one again. The more important it is for you to be right, because you're getting life from it, the less capacity you have to see and hear anything other than your own rightness. Someone's talking to you, but you really aren't hearing them because what you're hearing is the rightness of your own voice in your head. You're looking at someone standing right in front of you, but you're not really seeing them because what you're seeing is the rightness of your own beliefs in front of your eyes. You have got planks in your eyes. At this point, discernment becomes judgment. And you judge and you feed off the world and you project onto others what is true inside of you. And this is the plank analogy. It's kind of like this. Here's what Jesus is saying. People uh, who are listening by, by virtue of pot, I now have uh, two by four sticking out of my eyes. Yes. Okay. You have planks sticking out of your eyes, Jesus says. These are blinding. If I think my map is the territory, I can't see anything outside of my own map because I'm right on, on everything about my map. So I've got planks sticking out of my eyes. But see, if I really think that my map is the territory, I don't know I've got planks sticking out of my eyes. I think I'm really just seeing the world as it really is. And you know what? There's a lot of wood in the world. What a, what a wood congregation, you guys. You guys are a bunch of stiffs. You're, I'll tell you. You're made of wood. Look at all the specks in people's eyes there. But see, it's only, the reason is because the only thing I can see is wood. I got wood clogging up my eyes. And people who have this, therefore, tend to project, interpret onto the world the stuff that they're struggling with. If I'm a mistrustful person, all of a sudden I see mistrust in everybody. I can't trust anybody. Everyone's out to cheat me. Why? Because that's what's in my heart. If I'm struggling with being gay, I, I might be the one that's most vicious at cracking down on homosexuality. That's happened a couple times in the recent past. If I always have to be right, you know what? I accuse everyone of always having to be right. We project onto the world our interpretation of the world, and we're not open to the possibility that our perception of the world is somewhat limited. This is map idolatry. It is the reason, folks, why religion... This is why I'm wearing the shirt... Why religion is such a dangerous thing. Especially the Western religions. Judaism, the religion of Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. Uh, because of certain historical things there, it's very dangerous. Here's why. In religion, you not only get life from thinking your map is right, you get life from thinking that your map is God's map. And it's not just a matter of you feeling worth and security in the present. All eternity is leveraged on the rightness of your map. Heaven and hell hang upon your map being the territory. God's approval hangs on your map being the territory. So the ante is upped infinitely. So to even question, to even question the rightness of your map is to question God. And now the world divides very nicely. Now you've got these religious planks sticking out of your eye. The world divides perfectly clearly between us, the right ones, and them, the wrong ones. Us, the holy, them, the evil ones. Us on God's side, and they're on Satan's side. And when you have that 
mindset where we are good and they are evil. The minute you judge someone as being evil, you cut off all conversation. What's the point of talking to somebody whose heart is evil? And now you think you're omniscient and you can actually know that their heart is evil. That's why, that's why there's always a, 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 a tendency, and always has been a tendency in religion, uh, towards violence. You can't have a humane, loving solution to somebody that you think is evil. Uh, all you can do is blow them away, and that's what religions ha- have usually done. The kingdom of God, and I'm not mad right now, I am excited. The kingdom of God is not a religion. The kingdom of God is the antithesis of religion, because the kingdom of God is not about getting life from anything other than the reality of Jesus Christ. Get life from the reality of Jesus Christ, the experiential uh, encounter with Jesus Christ. A time alone with Jesus Christ where you feed at the table. Reminding yourself throughout the day about your life in Jesus Christ. And you don't need to be getting life from anything else. You, you, you can negotiate everything about your map and still be okay. I only need one thing to be true for my life to be full. And that is that Jesus Christ loved me and died for me and that's what God thinks about me. I can be wrong on every other point of theology, uh, even ones that are very important to me. You know, the Bible is the word of God. Uh, you know, your particular interpretation of Genesis 1, your way of, you know, your eschatology, all those things. I don't, we all have beliefs, have them, but don't get life from them. And then when someone disagrees with you, you don't have that anger and angst and all that other kind of stuff. Uh, get your life from Jesus Christ and from him alone. And see, if you're getting your life from Jesus Christ, it can't possibly ever happen that your faith will lead you into violence. Because what it is to get life from Jesus Christ is to know that you're called to treat your enemies the way he treated you when you were an enemy, and he gave his life for you while you were an enemy, and that's what we're called to do. It's the second piece here. Don't, say no to map idolatry. Secondly, talk straight and keep clean accounts. Uh, would one of the ushers tell the children's area we're going to go over about four or five minutes? Okay, just uh, give them a heads up. See, that was a pretty straight talk. It would have been not straight if I would have said, gosh, it sure be nice if someone would help us out and go tell you know, somebody that you know, the children's... No, I say it straight. Talk straight and keep clean accounts. Here's what it says in Ephesians chapter 4. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, and he here uses the word for, for heat, orge, hot. When you get hot, don't sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still hot. And now he uses the word paraorge, which means submerged heat. Heat down under. And do not give the devil a foothold. Okay, so here's what's going on. He's saying, speak the truth. The word for in truth in Greek is aletheia, and it means uncovered. So Paul is saying, put off all falseness, all duplicity, and speak uncovered. In other words, whatever you mean to say, say it. Uncover the meaning. Speak straight. Don't be involved in lying and don't be involved in any kind of duplicity. Say what you mean and mean what you say. Avoid sideways talks. Avoid coded language. You know what I'm talking about? People who are trying to say something, but they don't, they're afraid of, of hurting your feelings or they're afraid of conflict, so they, they, they say it in some other way. They're really trying to control you. Manipulation. You're the only guy in the room, and somebody says, gosh, it sure be nice if a man would help us, you know, cook this roast or something like that. Drives me nuts! You want me to help cook the roast? <laughs> Which you don't, but if you want me to, then say it. Say it straight. You see, when we talk coded language... And say things sideways. Gosh, it sure be nice if I wonder if whatever. What we do is we condition the relationship. We are training our relationship to live in the question, what do you really mean? 
uh, we, we're creating a, a suspicion that uh, a, a pattern where what it appears to mean is not what it means. And so you always got to guess what it really does mean. Now, communication at its best is difficult. But you superimpose a layer of double talk on it, and you're going to get all messed up. No, you know what? Say it straight. And if it it involves conflict, deal with it. Get angry. Get a little bit hot. That's going to happen when maps collide. But deal with it. Don't go to bed with your anger. So Paul's saying. When you do, the anger becomes submerged. Paraorge. Anger down under. It's sometimes translated bitterness. And now you are keeping an account. Maybe not a conscious account, but emotionally, it's going to start to tally up. And when it starts to tally up emotionally, because you're afraid of conflict, you're afraid of confrontation, you're always swallowing it, you go to bed with it, it starts to pollute you. It starts to pollute your map. It's like the filter is getting distorted and dark, and now the stimuli that's coming in to do the triggering and, and give the meaning is turning increasingly negative. And it can, be, it can happen if you don't clear the air, literally, that your, that, that your interpretation becomes completely toxic, where now each partner, if it's a marriage, is giving each other the worst possible interpretation. You interpret everything in the worst possible light. Negativity takes over the relationship. Good morning, honey. Oh, what's that supposed to mean? No, really, it, 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 it's toxic. The way to avoid this is to say it straight and keep clean accounts. When conflicts arise, deal with it. The Bible says, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 7, that love believes the best and love hopes the best. Let's cut each other slack. Let's be gracious. When someone says something that maybe sounds a little offensive, take a moment and imagine, is there a different way, that, something else they could have meant? Is there an interpretation that gives them the benefit of the doubt? Because usually people do mean well. We just don't say it the way that you wanted to have it said. Say it straight and keep clean accounts. And thirdly, embrace messiness. Don't run from it. Embrace it. When, when, when conflict happens and you find yourself getting a little bit hot, deal with it. Embrace the mess. Look at Given that we all have different maps. In fact, our maps are incredibly different from one another. Given that, sometimes it's, there's going to be conflict. In fact, there's got to be conflict. If you are in a relationship where there are no conflicts, either you just haven't gotten very deep yet, or you've had some kind of a covenant of, 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 of fabrication, of shallowness, of dancing around issues, no talk rules, or something dysfunctional. Never trust a relationship that doesn't have conflict. It's just not supposed to be. Some people have this crazy notion that Christian relationships, Christian small groups, for example, are supposed to be these lovey-dovey, wonderful places where conflict never happens. No, you're thinking about some kind of serendipity group or something. Authentic relationships have conflicts. How could it be otherwise? Uh, As I'm interpreting the world through my grid and you're interpreting your world through your grid, our grids are sometimes not going to match and it's going to bring about some conflicts. Embrace that. Because when when our... Maps conflict with one another. We give each other a chance to learn about our maps. Learn about ourselves. Learn about planks in our own eyes. When when, when there's conflict, even if it's kind of messy, we have now a chance to learn about the other person's uh, maps. Maybe their planks. Uh, we, We now are getting inside of each other. The relationship is becoming authentic. There's no way to authenticity except through the sometimes messy avenue of conflict. 
And know this, God is in the mess. God is in the mess far more than he's in any kind of shallow, how's the weather doing, serendipity kind of sort of thing. Uh, God, God loves conflict if the conflict is being handled right. And now it's beautiful conflict. And I'll tell you this, God is far more interested in, about, with the attitude that you maintain in the middle of the mess than he is in who's right and who's wrong in the mess. How are you responding to it? God uses it to grow us. It's kind of like uh, in Acts 15, one of my favorite passages in the Bible. In Acts 15, it was the first church council in history. They get together. The Jewish Christians are trying to decide what requirements should the Gentiles have to be Christian. Should they, do they have to embrace Jewish culture or not? They fought over this. It wasn't always pretty. Uh, they did, had disagreements. Some thought that, that to be a Christian, you had to totally embrace Jewish cultures. Other thought, no, you don't have to have anything to do with Jewish culture. And they had to hammer this thing out, and it wasn't pretty. But at the end of it, James stands up to give kind of the consensus report, although it wasn't a uniform consensus, but it was kind of a majority. And here's what he says. He says, It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us not to burden you with anything beyond the following requirements. Talking to the Gentiles here. It seemed good to the Holy Spirit... And to us, apparently the Holy Spirit was working through us. In fact, the Holy Spirit was working through our argument. It wasn't a nice, cute, quaint, pretty thing that just went on here, but the Holy Spirit was involved in that to bring about an agreement, uh, to, have, to have maps come together on some sort of agreement. In any conflict that you are in, don't run from it. Be angry, but don't sin. And, you, and, and notice this. When you go to bed with your anger... Uh, when, when you submerge it, you give the devil a foothold. That's how come it gets toxic. No, embrace the mess right here, right now, saying, can we talk about this? Talk straight. If you need to take a little breather because you're getting too hot, do that. Get your life from Christ and go back into the relationship. But deal with stuff up front. Would you close your eyes just for a moment? I want to give the, the Holy Spirit a chance to seal this into our minds and hearts because if we walk out of here and forget about it, it really hasn't been a very good investment of time. So Holy Spirit, will you just highlight to us what we need to get from this message? Are you here getting life from your map? Are you guilty of map idolatry? Do you find you always need to be right? And too much is at stake if it turns out that you're wrong. Holy Spirit, reveal to us if that's an area we need to work on. And I say to all of us, will will you commit to whenever you discover that, to going back and feasting at the table of life in Jesus Christ so you don't need to be getting life from your map? Another question. Are you in a relationship that is keeping an emotional account and that has gotten toxic? Holy Spirit, reveal to us if this is an area we need to work on. Will you commit to saying it straight? Not sideways and dealing with conflict as it arises. And Holy Spirit, we ask you to give people for whom the meaning of conflict is something tragic and therefore always want to avoid it, would you give them courage and a way of reframing that conflict so it's no longer strictly a negative thing, it's a positive thing. And then, Holy Spirit, finally, for all who need to come forward for prayer, I just pray that you would put that on their heart to do so. And for anyone here who's not yet a disciple of Jesus, would you call them forward to meet with our prayer teams up here and enter into the kingdom? Now may the God...
of grace, whose map is the territory, and he's the only one. May he humble us and motivate us as we go out of here to build the kingdom in a world that so desperately needs it. Go out and build the kingdom in Jesus' name. God bless you guys. The altar's open if you'd like to come forward for prayer. Love you.